Welcome to episode 34 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Bryn Jackson. This week we had Allison House as our guest. She's out in Austin, so we had to do over Skype, but it was still pretty awesome. She's She doesn't really have a position. She's just kind of, she's Allison House, which is an incredible thing to be. Super talented, doing a ton of amazing work. We were really excited to have her. Before we get into the show, just wanted to let you all know once again that we are nominated for the podcast of the year at the Net Awards. We need every single vote we can get. So if you've been listening along and you're enjoying the show, please, uh, we would love love your support. If you go to designdetails.fm, that's our website, there's a banner across the top uh, that you can click on to vote for us. It's a link straight to our voting page. Yep. And all you have to do is log in on Twitter. Super, super simple. So if you have two seconds and you're enjoying the show, we love your support. Thank you um, to everyone that has nominated us and voted for us so far. We have just about 30 days left until voting closes. Less than 30 days. It's like 27 now, I think. So I could check the timer, but I'm not going to do that. It's it's coming up fast is the point. And of course, before we get into the show, a huge, huge thank you once again to our longtime awesome sponsors, Icon Finder. What do they do? Well, actually... They provide a really great way to find icons. That's a bit on the nose, isn't it? It's on the nose. You go to iconfinder.com. You search for any icon you can need for any design project you're working on. They're going to return tons of results in all different styles, all formats. So it's going to work in any design tool uh, or software you might be using. Or directly in your projects, like live production projects. Right. And they have tons of free icons, but they also have tons of premium icons. And the cool thing is they have a program called Icon Finder Pro, which is a monthly subscription, which gets you access to more downloads for these premium icons that are super well designed uh, from designers that we actually know. So these are real artists. Icon Designers Pro. They're not artists. They're solving problems, not expressing themselves. Can we push our own agendas in our ad reads? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Icon Designers and Icon Finder actually returns 70% of your subscription to the original designers. So you are supporting the community by buying icons from Icon Finder uh, and signing up for Icon Finder Pro. If you go to iconfinder.com, sign up for Icon Finder Pro and use the promo code ROBOT and you'll get 50% off your first month. That tells them that we sent you, that you're listening to the show, and it makes us all feel really good that you're supporting the design community. So thank you again to Icon Finder for making this episode of Design Details possible. And with that, let's get into episode 34 with Allison House. So the first thing we always ask is, what are you working on? And I've never been more excited to ask that question before because I have no idea at all <laughs> what you're working on. Um, so, yeah, well, so right now I think I'm kind of taking myself to school, so to speak. Like I moved to Austin in February after a period of time when I was pretty much just on the road. And the idea was to kind of shut myself in and just find a space where I could have some peace and quiet and just do my best work um, and kind of get away from the tech scene for a little bit and um, kind of figure out where I'm coming from and how to find a voice in my work again. Um, So that's kind of what I've been doing for the last few months, uh, just trying to put out as much as possible, learn as much as possible, um, and all of that happening in the 3D realm now rather than in the design realm, uh, which has sort of been a journey of its own. A lot of these seem to be tied together, so I I have to assume that there's some big overarching project here. What are you looking at? Your Your Tumblr? Tumblr? Oh, my Tumblr. All all stuff that we've seen you put out seems to be tied together, but I haven't seen an end product yet. Um, I don't think it actually is. I think that no? the output, yeah, is just as many small projects that I can do as as possible that help me learn something new about Cinema 4D every day. Interesting. Yeah, I've seen so many of them that seem kind of like you're putting together some kind of 3D film noir. And I was just like, okay, this is going to be really incredible. <laughs> I could probably stack them together and it would look like something. So that's a good sign maybe in terms of my aesthetic developing. But no, for the most part, they're just me trying to teach myself new things. So why 3D coming from a product design background? Um, so I think after doing product work for several years, I just started to feel like there was the expression piece missing from my work. Um, some people are great at this where they can... I don't know, produce, like their product is a really good reflection of their voice and who they are. Ideally, that's the case when you're putting something like that out into the world. 
Um, but I kind of felt like I was losing my voice. And, and I think that, especially toward the end, like when I was working at Dropbox, um, there's a lot of like, you know, Dropbox in terms of its aesthetic, it's really minimal. There's a lot of neutral colors. It's that, and it's for everybody, right? Yeah. And I think that Putnam and a lot of the people who have followed and like adding to the illustration team, to the communication team, have done a really good job of sort of refining that and making that into something that's a lot more specific or feels more specific. Um, but I, I feel like it's kind of always been that way where I've ended up on products that were for everybody. And I think a lot of people end up in that position where it's kind of like you have this really general audience that you're trying to design for. Um, and I so, so I kind of felt like somewhere in there, I didn't really know what it meant anymore for me to just design something for fun on my own and to say like, oh, this is a reflection of who I am. Um, and so when I left Dropbox, I was already feeling that way. I went, went to doing product work freelance, um, but I was kind of in this space where I, I could tell like it, it wasn't me. I was watching a lot of MasterChef at the time. <laughs> and there's, I just love when like Gordon Ramsay will look at a dish and he goes like, is this you on a plate? And I kind of started to project my shame a little bit. I was like, Gordon, you're right. It's not, I'm not putting myself on the plate. <laughs> um, so I started to explore. This is where my, my explorations began. And, I, and I, I always thought about at Dropbox, like during Hack Week, we always talk about getting back to our roots. And that meant something at a company level, but I think that also means something to me on a personal level, right? Like, what, mm -hmm. what did I like when I was a kid? Like, what did I like when I was getting into design, you know, like when I was in high school or, or whatever? Um, so I got back into digital painting. I started to do some, like, real-life painting, like messing around with watercolors and acrylics. Uh, I tried doing illustration, um, character design. Like, I just was trying to do as many things as possible to see what mm -hmm. sparked. And it wasn't until I made my first little animation in 3D where I got that, um, you know, like the first time you wrote HTML or like, yes. uh, I don't know, like the first time you made something technical and went, whoa, this actually works, that like arrow through yeah. the heart. I got Absolutely. that feeling. Um, and, so, and I was like, oh, shit, this is it. <laughs> I better chase this down, you know? And I so I, I guess like the last year and a half or so has been me ch like relentlessly chasing down this spark. So what was the first thing that you made in 3D? Um, it's a little bomb. It's actually okay. just based on a tutorial, although it looks a little bit better than the tutorial added some like visual sensibility to it. Um, but it was from a site, the tutorial was on a site called Grayscale Gorilla. And I get asked this I a love lot. Grayscale Gorilla. Yeah, so it's the introductory tutorials there are so easy to follow. The, they have excellent teachers. So I would highly recommend that to anybody who wants to get started with Cinema 4D. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I used some... Um a spaceship tutorial and that was my first adventure in a cinema 40 and that was wonderful so was that I, on gsg i think so oh cool i think i know the one you're talking about actually it's just like a spaceship on a rail it was like nothing particularly exciting but it's good so do you see yourself doing 3d for the foreseeable future or yeah what do you think you're yeah definitely um i mean i think so that sort of helped me with one side of what i was looking for which is the expression component and then I think the other piece for me is like, I guess, in identifying like my own problems, like if I'm the project, these are my problems, what I'm like, how do I solve them? Right. So one was the mm -hmm. expression part. The other part is teaching. It's like, how do I make people more successful? How do I like write more? How do I get back out there? Because I, I used to teach like uh, introductory web design courses. I did that at the college level for three years. Um, I love teaching. It just, it's like fundamentally, I feel like very few things feel as good as helping people at that level. Okay. Um, and so that's sort of like the other thing that I've been working on is just uh, like doing more writing, doing more speaking, like trying to find ways to connect those two things. That's awesome. So have you found clarity leaving the tech bubble out here and going to Austin? Um, <laughs> I feel I feel a lot more calm. Okay. <laughs> I would say that there is a, yeah, a, a reduction in noise and anxiety uh, on multiple levels. Um, I always thought San Francisco was a pretty laid back place. That is one of the things I really liked about it. But now that I've been in Austin for a while, like they are truly laid back here. <laughs> Next level laid back. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you think you're going to come back? 
Um, maybe someday. Do you think the rent's gonna go down? <laughs> no, <Nope>. maybe someday. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, it's always possible. I I do love the Bay Area. I think there's so much inspiration to be found in just the scenery out there, and the, yeah, you know what I mean. Just that absolutely. When you, when you're walking down the street, you get that peak between two buildings. You know, the, the sprawling water, like the mountains in the distance or the, you know, the haze coming in. I love that stuff. So I do. I, I mean, I just miss walking around the city. The buildings, like architecturally, I, I take so much from that. That was like a big influence on some of the earlier 3D work that I did. Just walking mm-hmm. around San Francisco. Um, but there's a lot for me to see in Austin still. So I'll probably hang out here for a while. So where did you start out in design? Like where locationally or? All of the above. I mean, like what, what got you started in design? Um, I think I just started screwing around. Well, okay. So when I was about 11, I was living in Hong Kong at the time. So I was born, I was born in Ohio, but I was, we had moved to Hong Kong when I was a kid and we had a class. It was kind of a, a technology class. And I think that's when I made my first website, but we only spent a few days on it. We didn't get a whole lot of time to explore it. But I made it about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice. Uh, and I had a little there. I had a little stake for the cursor in that. Nice. <laughs> like, yeah, that was a Custom good design. Cursor. That's incredible. <laughs> um, and a few years later, I kind of got interested in it again. So I started to do some research and kind of try and figure out like how I could get started. And found some basic HTML and basic CSS. Uh, and then I. Forgot about it again until like MySpace and LiveJournal. And that's when I really got heavy into customization. <laughs> gotcha. So after a couple of years of that, I mean, I, I started my first little web design business. Started calling myself a, a we, talking about myself in the third person <laughs> and having an entire website that described me that way. Um, I had, I remember having like, I had one of, two of my walls in my teenage bedroom were pink and I had Blink-182 posters Yes. <laughs> and I had this 1-800 number and people would, on the website, it was like through our Vonage phone or something. And people would call this 1-800 number and not know that I'm like this, this teenage girl. <laughs> Vonage, Blink-182? <laughs> you were a 90s kid. That's great. <laughs> I guess 90s. 90s? That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. Would Blink um, be, would you call that a 90s kid for Blink? No. I, I think I got. The, I think you had to be a certain age to appreciate them like at their peak. I think they were a little before my time. <laughs> You're a little baby though, so it's a little fine. baby. Um and then you went to Treehouse. I did. Oh, that was that was Did really, you do Treehouse really or Code Academy first? Treehouse was first. Okay. Yeah, I mean, after the bedroom, I went to school. I lived I went to school in Orlando and Treehouse well, it wasn't Treehouse at the time. It was Carsonified. And Carsonified mm-hmm. put on these big web shows like uh what was it like? Uh, future Ryan web Carson. apps. Ryan Carson, yeah. Future yeah. web apps, future web design. I think there were a couple more yeah. that they did. Um, I had gone to one of those in like 2008 or something. I didn't even stay for the end. I just, I was like really shocked. Jason Freed spoke. I kind of know yes. him now. He spoke and he swore a lot. And I was like, whoa, this is, <laughs> this is intense. So edgy. And then the last speaker was Gary Vaynerchuk. And I was like, <laughs> I oh, thought man, he was. Gary. <laughs> I was like, this this guy's so loud. Let's just leave. <laughs> oh my god! I was still in school at the time. I didn't I didn't know what was what. We had we had just kind of gone down there because we saw some student tickets were on sale and it was in Miami. Um, but a couple years later, uh, Treehouse at the time was called oh, what was it called? Think Vitamin Membership. It was part of their. It was a spinoff of their blog, and. So they had a blog called Think Vitamin. It was like a mm-hmm, yeah. educational, right? It was about design and development. And then there was some, they were trying to turn that into their flagship product. It was doing fairly successful. And so they wanted to turn that into a new product, which is how we came up with Treehouse. So I was kind of there when they were just getting Treehouse started. Um, they had two teachers who lived in Orlando, Jim and Nick. Um, and mm-hmm. then I came on as the Nick third. Nick Pettit, right? Nick Pettit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, came on as sort of like the third member of that office and the first designer uh, to sort of take it from being this, I don't know, basically to rebrand it and to bring it into existence. And how long were you there? Uh, like a year. Okay. And you went to Code Academy right after that? Uh, not right after. So while I was, while I was at um, Treehouse, it turned out we could work from anywhere. One of the great mm-hmm. things about Carsonified was they had the four-day work week and the yep. remote working. 
which, I mean, is still sort of novel, I think, for some folks. Um, so I was like, well, I don't want to live in fucking Florida. <laughs> I got to get out of here. Um, so having had that option, I ended up moving to San Francisco. But after I moved to San Francisco, I realized, like, for us to work across time zones, because Ryan was in the UK at the time, I had to get up hella early. <laughs> That's really <laughs> yeah. hard. Yeah. And it actually started to wear on me. And if I felt really disconnected from the team. And so I ended up leaving Treehouse, leaving Personified. Um, and I spent a few months just talking to companies in the Bay Area. And I think around that time, it felt safe to kind of rest on my laurels a little bit, given mm-hmm. the state of the market, right? Uh, there were a lot of companies that seemed very interested, that were or very interesting, who were interested in talking to me. And I, I mean, I, I guess it's still kind of like that out there. Um, yeah. It's very competitive. It's a seller's market. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just spent some time being sort of fun employed, and getting to know the locals, really. Um, and I started, and I, but it was like all of those relationships that I built during that time, like as soon as Codecademy showed up, I just sort of like tossed all that aside and was like, oh, I'm moving to New York City. <laughs> so. Really? What convinced you that strongly? Um, it was basically just talking to Zach and Ryan. Again, it's a, a mission that merged education with design and development, three things that I was all really interested in. Um, and I was still trying to figure out if there was a way that I could teach or feel like I'm having the same impact of teaching through product work, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I ended up packing everything up, uh, moving to New York City. That was miserable. It was miserable? <laughs> <laughs> I hate New York. I, I shouldn't say oh, that. Wow. I, don't, I, don't, I don't hate New York. Hate is an awful strong word. That is a very strong word. But... <laughs> I just, I never felt completely comfortable in New York City. Okay. Like in, I don't know, I eventually, I, I was in Airbnbs for a while. We had this broker the whole company used. And so I ended up moving into this, for for all the places that I had seen, seemed like a pretty nice place in New York. Um, but it was like, I don't know, it was still kind of... Everything was breaking down, basically. It's like these old wartime buildings. It's like a fifth floor walk up. Like everything is kind of, everything is crumbling around you a little. (laughs) Um, It just, like the, working with the broker was weird. Like there were enormous fees. I don't know. It just like, I never felt like anything was easy or like I was completely settled in, if that makes sense. Um, So I was there for a while, but what I realized at Codecademy pretty quickly, I wasn't there that long, I think less than a year, was that I wasn't really growing that much because I was the first designer there. I was the lead designer. And I I'd kind of like, I'd seen this script before, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd kind of already done this thing where I hit my ceiling and I was doing it again. And so even though I learned quite a lot about um, what, like one of the major differences between Treehouse and Codecademy was Codecademy had investors. At least this was the case at the time. I think Treehouse does now, too. So I, I kind of learned what that relationship was and a little bit more about early stage startups. Sure. But I didn't feel like I was growing that much as a designer. There was We did work out of the AOL Ventures office, and there were a couple good designers in that space. And I realized that working with them or just getting feedback from them, or just like having our sort of um, impromptu critique sessions was extremely valuable. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know how it is. You look over somebody's shoulder for a few minutes and you realize like, oh, I didn't know you could do that in Photoshop, or like, oh, I didn't <laughs> know Sketch had that feature. Um, and so the rate I saw myself grow just through these sort of smaller interactions, I wanted that at a larger scale. So I, you know, I talked it over with the founders, and they were they were really understanding about it. Um, and that was when I moved out to San Francisco to work at Dropbox. Why did Dropbox feel like the best place? Um, well, I had a friend who worked there. First of all, that was Morgan Knudsen, who was the third designer, okay. I think, at Dropbox. And so I eventually came on board as the fourth. And I, I don't know. I guess I talked to a lot of companies over the years. I had a lot of relationships in San Francisco, and I also oh, I also asked. Um, Saleo, who mm-hmm. I just remembered this. I asked Saleo, so he who had been you know running th- design stuff at Dropbox for a long 
a long time recently, but at the time he was only an advisor to Dropbox. And then before that he had been at Facebook and I kind of knew him through Facebook and through people at Facebook. And I asked him what kind of team he thought would be a good fit for me next. I kind of went to him seeking advice. I didn't know that he was advising for Dropbox at the time, but he was like, oh, Dropbox is it. Like you should, you should get on that train, get on that rocket ship. Um, he probably said it in a much cooler way. Uh, but I was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, so I, you know, it, there was some like element of social proof, I guess, that was there. I was interested in, in the mission and interested in this idea of like, you know, okay, what is the future of, of all these files and folders that we have right now? You know, what does that look like if we strip all that stuff away? You know, what if it's categorical? What if it, you know, like, what does that look like when it's just stuff? So I ended up, and I, I really wanted to move back to San Francisco. I really did miss those views. It's unbeatable. Yeah, so good. So I'm curious for other people that might be thinking about transitioning jobs and stuff. Like what else do you look for? Or how do you identify a place that can help you grow as a designer? Um, I think for me, the number one thing is looking for people who are just way more talented than you are. Um, It's, I I think that that, so in our industry, so many people are self-taught. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're self-taught, it's really easy to forget you can ask for help or to seek out help or to even be able to realize the value of mentorship or just working with other people who are doing something similar to what you do. So for me, that was the big thing that I was looking for is like, where can I find a team where people know what they're doing? Uh, better than I do. Absolutely. Dropbox had some incredible talent. So they still do. They still do. Yeah, they still do. (laughs) Definitely still do. (laughs) Not past. I meant has had. Uh Sorry. Like they've had some incredible people go through their present company, not excluded. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And how long were you at Dropbox? About a year. (laughs) Wow. So lots of short stints. Yeah, definitely. Is it really short though? Like a year? I I feel like a lot of people uh, do their thing for a year and then go somewhere else. Somehow it feels that short. That like a trend to me. But normal, yeah. It's like a normal thing, but it still feels short. I've heard the average tenure for a designer in San Francisco right now is nine months. What? Nine months? Which, I don't know anyone below that, though, so I don't understand that. I don't know why you wouldn't just stick it out at least a year. Yeah, I mean, Cliff, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. But I don't know, I get antsy, you know? I want to try new things. Gotta keep moving. So, you did this Tweety video. Yeah. Which is one of the most unique things I've ever seen. Like... <laughs> I, I, you don't often see animated music videos, period, let alone um, purely just 3D, not not necessarily the artists themselves or anything like that. It's just it's just your work the entire time. Yeah, yeah. How did that happen? How did you come up with that idea? Um, gosh, I mean, that I think that was just good fortune. So I had, I think at that point, I'd only been doing 3D for about three weeks, but I had been pushing out every single thing that I made, whether it was good or bad on like Instagram and Tumblr and Twitter and just putting it all out there um, and sort of allowing myself to be a beginner again and to sort of expose myself in that way. Um, And some stuff was good. Some stuff was not that great, but a lot of gifts came out of it. And Spencer Tweedy, who is a member of the band Tweedy, saw some of those gifts and I think he had been following my work for a while and I I also had been following his stuff and he sent me a DM and was like hey I really like this new 3D stuff you're putting out can I can we ping you about a project and I thought it was gonna be something small because that's all I could do Uh, and it turned out to be this an entire you know a full-length music video three and a half minutes yeah yeah, and it was a tight, I mean, a tight deadline. It was, you know, certainly a lot more animation than I had ever done in my in my life. <laughs> um, the, you know, the longest that I had produced at that point was like 30 frames, like maybe one or two seconds. Um, so there was a, a lot of learning that had to be done in that period of time. But we, I basically tried to approach it sort of like I would if I were working with any other client. I was not really sure how motion designers or animators worked, but figured I would just try to use a similar format. So instead of like, like I might start out just having a discussion like on a whiteboard or like sketching with a client or something like that so that we can both look at something and understand what we're talking about. So in this case, I try to just sketch out thumbnails uh, with lots of little ideas, identify the best ones, and then prototype them basically in Cinema 4D, um, and shared that with Spencer, um, who was sort of my primary contact. Uh, 
and we kind of went from there. How was the reaction once you put it out? Um, it was pretty good. I mean, it, it felt good. I think most people were just more excited to hear new music from Tweety. Gotcha. <laughs> but gotcha. I was excited to just have new work out there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's like one of the most unique things I've I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I, we'll have a link to it in the show notes so people can watch. It's so remarkable. So th- the way you did the camera cuts and everything are remarkable. Like it, it feels like a film, but it's it's pure like three D animation. Man, thank you so much. Like I I definitely look at that and go. Uh, you know, like I can do so much better now, uh, having sort of try to keep up that rate of learning over the last year mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, I tr- just truly didn't know what I was doing. Um, I had to learn a lot of really basic stuff. Like, um, so when you're watching a movie, a lot of the time you'll see the protagonist will move from left to right, whereas mm-hmm. the antagonist is going to move from right to left. And that's because in the Western world, at least, left to right feels like the natural flow of things to us. That's the direction in which we read. So that is going with the flow, whereas going the opposite direction feels like it's rubbing against the grain a little bit, right? And so this is a really basic thing, but if you don't know it and you just sort of pick whatever angle or pick whatever direction, you won't realize that you're sort of generating this feeling of discomfort or tension when you're making things move from right to left. Um, And so I I picked up this book called Cinematic Storytelling, uh, and there were a couple others uh, and just a lot of Googling to try and figure out what these sort of sort of the design patterns for film are. (laughs) Again, like relying very heavily on my past to try and figure out what I could do in this new world. And yeah, I just sort of figured out how to do it from there. (laughs) Do you think there's room to take some of these skills back into the product world? Um, I kind of have wondered about it. When I was doing product, I didn't really do a lot of motion design, and I didn't really think about it very much. Um, I think were I to revisit that, it would play heavily into how I I do design work now. Uh, Do you have plans for that? Do you envision trying to make that switch happen, or are you still just playing it by ear? I think I'm still playing it by ear. Um, There was a part of me that wanted to decompress from product, and to, I mean, part of the reason that I have so many of these like neon, pink, purple, green, toxic color palettes is because I never got to do that stuff when I was working on the, with like neutral blues and greens in the past. Right, right. Um, so part of it is just like, you know, kind of breaking out of the shell still and kind of trying to shed some of the, I don't know, elements of conformity that sort of I felt crept in um, while I was doing product stuff. Um, but I think that... W- yeah, I mean, like, I definitely see myself going back to doing product in the future. I think it would just take a really different form. So a lot of designers, and myself included, seem to approach design as pure problem solving. But you sound like you have a very expressionist take on this. Is that something that has always been the case? Or, like, have you always tried to express yourself through your work, whether it was for Dropbox, whatever? Or has it been uh, just recently in these experiments and things? Um. I think that it has always been the case. I don't know that product has always been the best way for me to satisfy that desire. Okay. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, I, I think I've always thought of my work um, as reaching out to the world in some way and trying to connect with other people. And I think what I'm finding now is, okay, I could probably do that in a more direct way instead of doing it through, you know, like helping them solve goals or actions or whatever. Interesting. Like that's, that's such a common topic for, uh, at least Twitter, <laughs> like design Twitter <laughs> has been like art versus design or design roles in general, uh, how they separate. Um, yeah. The latest thing is companies want all of their products to feel like it's, there's no individual designer that you could recognize yeah. their work. Consistency at, at any cost. Yeah. How does that strike you? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it really depends on like what the product is and who's making it and what they want out of that. I mean, I've always really liked products with personality. I think that's sort of an obvious thing to say, but mm. when I was um, like starting out, I was really interested in content strategy, for example, just because of the layer that that added. Um, I always really liked, well, they still have this now. I always loved Glitch back in the day. Yes. And now we have Slack, and I've noticed that the the tone of voice in Slack, you get a lot of that same, like, like the copywriting in Glitch was so good. And in Slack, we have that same sort of spark, that same, like, something that makes you laugh or just really enjoy yourself when you're using it. And I think there's something really unique there. And so who is who is speaking to you in that moment? Is it, like, 
it's not like actually the machine, right? Uh, it's a it's sort of a collective voice um, from a group of people. And so inevitably, I mean, it's a thing created by humans, right? And so it's sort of reaching out in some way. It's personal. It's not sterile computer talk. Yeah. Speaking of Slack, what are other products that you're excited about right now? Um, That's a good question. I actually thought you might ask me this question. I was like, man, I, I better come up with an answer. Um, so so what did uh, you come up with? <laughs> What I came up, well, so, so one of my favorite products right now is Giphy. Do you guys know Giphy? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to name stuff that's like in my zone now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I actually, I was just talking to them because they, uh, I'm in their artist directory now, which is very exciting. Um, but I'm just Im- impressed with them from like a product and branding perspective. One, how they've sort of been able to circumvent sort of the, the GIF systems that exist in Twitter and Facebook. Uh, now that I think they're the only sort of gift provider for Messenger, that might be changing soon. I've heard some things about gifts and Facebook, but um, yeah. So that you know that's impressive, but they're also just hilarious and and true to it. You know, it never feels like a gimmick for the sake of like oh, trying to force delight into a product. Like they have a real artistic sort of creative component to what they do. They have a really good relationship with the gift art community, but at the same time, like they're providing a, a valuable gift related service. I've never heard the phrase GIF art community before. <laughs> Me neither. Really? I didn't know there was such a thing. It's a real thing. It's And it mostly, I, I, I think it mostly exists on Tumblr. Okay. But when I was first starting out in GIF art, <laughs> I started. that's where I started posting my work. And I just met so many people who I don't think I would have met if I had just hung out on you know Twitter and sort of the spaces that, that we typically exist in as web people. Mm-hmm. No, the first time I saw your uh, one of the Tweety gifs, uh, I think you like teased it before it came out, or maybe it was just a static screenshot after it came out. It reminded me so much of Tim Reynolds. Like that was the first thing I thought of. Oh yeah. Um, do do you go seek out a lot of inspiration from other artists, or or do you find it in like natural places, or how does that really, how does that inspirational process happen? Um, I would say it's. They're often what I create are, are meditations on things I see in my day-to-day life. Um, okay. Tim is, I mean, Tim is an outstanding illustrator. And I think he's, he's almost like single-handedly brought back low poly as a style. Like his work is so great. And he's been, I mean, in, he and I are friends. Like he, and I think he just, he encourages me a lot. And it's um, always like really nice to hear that from someone who actually knows what they're doing. But I, I think my stuff, like, I, I kind of try not to look too much at, at other people who are doing 3D work. Mm-hmm. I think just because I'm, my, my hope is that I'm sort of like creating something from the heart, right? And so sometimes okay. I'll have, you know, reference images or, or something like that, but it's typically not of other 3D stuff, if that makes sense. Like, I've kind of already found the style that I like in 3D that I feel like is, is communicating what I'm trying to communicate. And and so it's, yeah, it's not so much like other 3D artists that I'm looking at, but more like things on the day-to-day. It's very clear when something is house-ish now. <laughs> <laughs> is it because it's just like pink or? <laughs> I think it's, it's the pink. <laughs> it's pink, it's purple, it's green. It's like these bright, vibrant colors on dark backgrounds, <laughs> like... It's very high contrast, very dynamic. It's yeah, not smooth. It's, it's it's got rough edges, right? Right. It, it feels well, purposeful, some of, though. Some of your lighting ones are feel very smooth, like the panning uh, with like the light coming through the windows, or I guess that's what those are. Um, that feels very smooth somehow. Yeah, um, I think one thing that I I'm I mean I'm still sort of exploring. I'm still kind of like finding what feels right, but one of the things that I thought about early on was that I had spent all this time kind of making products that were supposed to feel human. Like they're, they're machine, you know, like you're kind of talking to the machine, but we're trying to make it seem human. And I sort of wanted to do the opposite where I was creating art that felt computer generated. So even if you look at like the windows, the, the light going past the windows, the volumetric mm-hmm. drive-by one, um, there's a lot of like noise and fuzziness and there's a couple glitches that happen uh, uh-huh, yep. that actually were quote unquote naturally occurring in Cinema 4D uh, that I left in there as sort of like a, I, I almost like to think of it as like a collaboration with the machine. Uh, <laughs> like, that's cool. like they're contributing to the work and they add, it adds something to the overall aesthetic of the work, right? It feels somehow more honest. 
Yeah, it's it's imperfect. And I think, I don't know, there's something sort of interesting there. And so I play quite a bit with this idea of like leaving in glitches, leaving in like clipping and things that aren't actually supposed to be there, dropping aliasing, um, and kind of working with the computer as a collaborator for the final output. <laughs> so you've also started selling some of these images I guess. a little bit yeah i was just trying it out it's just a society six shop i don't know if you've ever heard of this site but it just makes it real easy to throw up prints mm-hmm. how's that going i just saw your knowing look <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh it's we fun. may be looking at it right we're, now we're on it now <laughs> okay yeah yeah um i think like the first month i put it up i saw a bunch of sales but i haven't really talked about it much so i haven't seen any since then <laughs> Well, I love some of your, like, you are very vocal in the community. I loved your tweet earlier this week, like, give Dribble a break, guys. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you're still very plugged into the tech scene and the product scene out here. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, inevitably, I have friends who are building things, right? And so that definitely keeps me interested. What is your uh, take on, on Dribble then in general? Because you put out a lot of stuff on You there. put a lot of stuff on there and it's not the what a conventional dribble shot would be, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. And it's kind of nice that there is that flexibility and that you can put out, you know, non-UI work and people will still be interested. But I think with the... So, I mean, I think I saw a lot of people talking about dribble in a way that... Okay, hold on, let me back up for a second. So these these tweets, for context, and this might have come up on the show before, the whole, like, dribbleization of design thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that blog post got resurfaced last week for whatever reason yeah i think it was republished recently i'm pretty sure that came out while i was at dropbox the first time and so we've seen this idea before um and i i completely empathize with just about everything in that article um having had to hire designers before and seeing this type of work being shown over and over again i get why that's frustrating and get why that's not really solving a problem and so on Um, the ideas in that article are not without merit, but whenever you, we have this thing like where in our space, credibility is often, um, we don't have like, oh, I have a degree or I went to the school. Therefore I am like, I know what I'm talking about. Right? Like we have to build credibility in other ways. And I feel like articles (laughs) like this, people sort of just adopt the ideas to look like they're in the know without really thinking about it. And so I saw a lot of negativity that felt like it was sort of just bandwagon negativity toward Dribbble. And I kind of wanted to just offer an alternate perspective that even if it's not the best place to show product, Dribbble is still a good example of people who have a really honest approach to product in general. Definitely, yeah. They don't try and be anything they're not, I feel like. But they never respond to the criticisms, as far as I know, uh, the Dribbble team, that is. Yeah, I think they kind of lean off of that, like dealing with controversy on Twitter and and stuff like that. But I've been on there a while, I think since 2010 or so. So maybe that's almost five years now. And I get the impression that they do their best and they listen. And I think that means a lot in a space like this. Absolutely. Trying to defend yourself seems kind of like not worth it when a lot of your customers are so uh, passionate about your product anyway that they will defend you no matter what. Like uh, I know Morgan Knudsen's been very vocal about it like there's no way i could have gotten a couple million views of my work in the last few years without dribble and that's absolutely outstanding like that's that's just not something that would have happened otherwise there's just no place for it do you think it's okay that so many companies look for dribble as a portfolio i don't have a portfolio so i i would say yes what about you allison yeah i mean i think it's kind of silly if the only way that you could prove that you've done a certain type of work is through like dribble, right? Uh, if you have a better way of showing that or another way of showing that, that should be just as valid. But I think that's more of an issue with like the employer, right? Yeah, I guess so. Man, employers are the worst. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> Why can't we all just do what you're doing and just <laughs> make awesome stuff without having to worry? All right. So what else are you excited about uh, or that maybe you wanted to talk about to a broader audience? Um, I'm speaking at Adobe Max this year. That's awesome. That's coming that? up in the next month or so, right? Uh, a little bit later than that. It's going to be oh. in October. What are you speaking about? Um, I'm going to be talking about some of the things I've discussed here today. Uh, my journey from product design at Dropbox to 
3D, yeah, doing like a 3D music video for Tweety and, and how that happened and sort of some of the techniques and strategies around learning 3D. Okay, so let's say I wanted to learn 3D. What are the best ways to learn and how have you navigated that? Um, I mean, for me, like I mentioned, I started with tutorials, but it was really about developing some kind of consistent practice around that learning. That's why I kind of call it taking myself to school, or sometimes I say I'm in night school, um, because it's it's a very deliberate way of um, producing a lot of work. And really, I think for anything you want to learn, if you want to learn it fast, produce as much work as you can as quickly as possible, right? We know that from the stuff that we do every day already. Um, so I have this, I have one technique I can share that I call second shift. Um, and it's basically how I try to, because I always have problems with motivation. I think everybody struggles with this. Sometimes you want to make something, but at the same time, you don't want to make something, right? Like, it's kind of hard to f- reach deep down and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. Or maybe you guys don't have that problem because you've been recording all day <laughs> and making this amazing podcast. Um, but I know I have this problem. <laughs> and so I, I kind of try to find a way to take the... Um, part where I struggle to think about whether or not I want to do something out of the equation entirely and just do it. And so Mm -hmm. there's kind of three components to this. One is I have to chain any sort of practice session on another activity. So instead of like trying to say, okay, at two o'clock every day, I'm going to do this. I I know if I do that, it's just not going to happen. So instead I say, okay, at the end of my work day, I'm going to spend, you know, another amount of time working on like a side project or learning more about 3D or creating a GIF or something, right? That's when the session has to happen. Uh, Or it could be like first thing when I wake up in the morning or it could be after I brush my teeth, but it's finding something to hook it onto so that I can do it, so that I have a trigger for doing it. Um, The second piece to it is that I have to do something that's really achievable. So it has to be really easy for me to sort of flex and be like, yeah, I got this done. Um, so that's part of the reason that I put out so many gifts is because they are so easy to do. Like having a one or two second animation is a pretty small ask of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other piece. And, and the third part is having some sort of emotional payoff. And I think that this is something I've neglected in the past. Uh, I think if you don't feel excited about the work that you've just produced, it's really hard to kind of like keep forcing yourself to do it over and over again, right? Um, So that might be, um, so for example, I know you had Ryan Putnam on the show not too long ago. um, And one um, one of the gifts that I did a couple months back was after I saw a little cactus that he had put up, a little like, Mm-hmm. cactus illustration yeah. and so I made a, a 3D edition of the cactus using his original as a guideline but for me there's some emotional component to that because Ryan and I used to work together I really like his work right I was kind of thinking about him when I did that it feels like it's on Dropbox Blue too <laughs> <laughs> oh no my subconscious <laughs> <laughs> it kicked in it was popping out yeah, I mean, I, I, it felt really good to make that, right? It was my way of kind of like waving with some art and saying, hey, Ryan, still see you over there. How you doing? Um, <laughs> or what, what else? Like uh, one of the early buildings that I did was actually a building from Lower Knob Hill. It's one of the art academy buildings there. I used to walk by it all the time on my way to the coffee shop. And it kind of just got stuck in my head, you know, and that was kind of my way of, of thinking about it and, and getting it out. Um, but again, there was some part where pretty much everything that I've been putting out connects back to some part of my day or some part of my life in a way. And I have found that when I produce these sort of tiny bite-sized assignments, I feel really good. I feel Mm -hmm. good enough that I'm going to do another one and another one until I'm too tired to keep going. And I think that's really valuable if you can do like three or four pieces in one night, like the rate at which you improve is really, really high, right? I can totally appreciate that. I'm bad at it, but yeah. I can totally appreciate it. <laughs> Get on that second shift, of, buddy. <laughs> uh, this is my second shift. There's just so much like that is mystery about Allison House. Like, okay, so when we created our spreadsheet of people we wanted to ask to have on the show, right off the bat, you were on it. We didn't know what to call you. Like, what, <laughs> we, we had everyone's like name and title and uh, like where they worked and their Twitter handle and stuff. And the title we put in for you was Allison fucking House. <laughs> 
I love it. You could just do house though, you know? That's that's what I like to hear across the room is just like house. <laughs> you have that username on everything. Such a good one. And Allison.house. Allison.house, yep. Killing it with your personal branding. Not to get too interviewed, but like what's the big picture goal here for you in as an artist, as a designer? Oh gosh. I don't. I mean, I don't have a big picture goal, and you probably saw that coming. <laughs> if you're going one year I to mean, the next, yeah, that makes it's more very, sense. I, when I was at Brooklyn Beta, I think the the last one I ran into at the time, I was in New York City, and I was teaching a product design course. We totally, we, I think, we just didn't talk about that at all. As I was leaving San Francisco mid last year, I was kind of winding down on product work, client wise, and I thought, okay, well, I need some kind of swan song here like I don't just want to stop doing product I need to teach some stuff before I you know get out of here so mm-hmm. I um, collaborated with Kaplan they have sort of a subsidiary called mm-hmm. Metis built a nine-week product design course in New York City and went and taught that and while while I was there I was at I stopped by Brooklyn Beta I ran into Enrique and Ben from Designer Fund and they're really interested in design education they have this the the bridge program which attempts to take mid to senior level designers and put them into startups where they're going to get more experience. They can go from freelance to full time. And and Ben started asking me questions like, okay, well, you've left Dropbox. Like, what are you going to do next? Like, what's what's your market? Like, what markets are you interested in? And I was like, Ben, my man, I'm the project right now. The project is Allison House. I'm going to I'm going to finish up this course. I'm going to go to Taiwan for a month. I haven't been there in 15 years. I'm going to I'm going to sit with my grandmother who cannot speak English and think about what it means to be me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, you know, like that's kind of that's kind of what I'm up to. Um, I don't think it's always going to be that way. I think that um, production is cyclical, right? And sort of what I, I need right now is certainly a reaction to what I've had in the past and, and what I will want in the future is going to be the same. Um, I think that I will probably get back to slightly more business-like things in the near future. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been my game. On the education side, now that you've been involved in that a little bit, what are some of the common struggles you're seeing for mid-level and senior designers going from freelance to full-time at a startup? Um, oh, that's a good question. I actually think that, I think what I mentioned earlier was, was one of the main things where oftentimes people who've been freelancing for years um, are self-taught and they don't realize that working with a team is going to level them up so much or so quickly. Uh, I think a lot of folks just never seek that out or never realize they can seek that out, even though it's one of the like most beneficial things that you can do for your career. Is that a bad thing for them that they've been freelancing for a while? Like, does that make it harder for them to get a job as opposed to if they had just started out in startups doing product design or working for a company? I don't think it necessarily makes it harder to get a job. I think it really depends what your portfolio looks like. I know a lot of people who have freelanced for a long time who just they kind of balk once they have to take a real job quote-unquote real job um and they're like well i just want to work for me but eh, i guess i have to do this well the thing i see a lot is people that freelance never they like want to get into working on products but they have never had any of that experience even if they've been designing for years and years and years building websites building pages all this kind of stuff but never a product and that makes it really hard to be a team. Get them in and like hire them as we don't know. Like, yeah, you've been designing for a while, but there's no product experience here. Yeah, I think it's hard to get product experience when you're not willing to invest. And I know I haven't been, a, I don't have like the longest histories with companies, but at the same time, <laughs> I think that if I hadn't, I mean, if I had gone from like getting out of school and just freelancing from then until now, like the under the depth of understanding that I would have about how product works, or, or it would just be like completely different, right? I think it's really hard to get that unless you actually spend that time and see some sort of trajectory and see what something looks like from point A to point B. You know what I mean? I don't go for a trajectory. I'm just like, oh, this this sounds good now. I'll do this. <laughs> like, I, I'm just happy to go. Like, this seems like a step up. I will learn something that I have not learned before here, and I'll just go with it. That, that's exactly what this podcast was. That's what my current job is. Like, it just feels like the natural progression, but I'm not thinking about like what's even a year down the line. I don't care about that yet. Like, it's just making something happen. You're confident that if you are challenging yourself now that it's going to work out 
in the future. Yeah. I just can't stop working. Just got to keep working. I mean, I think there's something to be said for like, if you feel like you're hitting your ceiling, if you're not growing, that's when you look for the next opportunity, right? That's when you try and switch gears, try something else. Because what you're doing right now is no longer working. Yep. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to plug before we jump off? Um, I'm about to start kicking up my newsletter again. So if anybody's interested in that, gonna What's the newsletter? keep talking about design and process and so on. And so you can get to that at Allison.house. Boom. Awesome. Wait, wait, wait. Where is it? It's at the it's at the bottom. Well, no one's gonna find Allison it. Allison the house <laughs> at the bottom. Got it. Okay, I'm about to put out actually I'm gonna I'm gonna launch a redesign this week. So it's gonna be at Allison.house slash newsletter. <laughs> Perfect. And I'm at house on Twitter. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for taking the time on a Saturday. Cool. Yeah, I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you appreciate guys so it. much. And uh, whenever you're in SF, definitely hit us up and we'll we'll do one in person. Yeah, for Those sure. Those are always I fun. might be there pretty soon, so I'll let you guys know. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Allison. Y'all done? You done listening? Hmm? Hmm? That was episode 34. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we are always available to chat on Twitter. Hit us up. We're at Design Details FM. If, if this was a fun episode to listen to, we would love your review on iTunes. So pull out your phone, your computer, and uh, rate us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. And of course, of course, we need your support. We are in the running for Podcasts of the Year at the Net Awards. If you just go to our website, designdetails.fm, we have a link across the top to go vote for us. It'll take two seconds and means so much to us. It's really awesome to see everyone support the show. Um, and of course... Of course, we can't leave without thanking our awesome sponsor, Icon Finder, for making this episode of the show possible. Icon Finder is the best resource for icons on the web. You can go there, search for an icon you need for any design project you're working on. They're going to return tons of results. You're going to find the perfect icon for your project. They have a wonderful service called Icon Finder Pro. It's just a few bucks a month, but if you sign up using the promo code ROBOT, you'll get 50% off your first month. So go to iconfinder.com, support them, tell them that we sent you. And uh, thank you once again to Icon Finder for making this episode of Design Details possible. We'll see you on Wednesday with the mother futon himself, Noah Stokes.